Hello, and welcome to a Joyful Pause podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in to listen to my conversation, which today is with Dominique Choi. Hey, Dominique, how are you? Hey, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. I'm so happy you're here. Let me tell our listeners a little bit about you. Dominique Troy is a yoga guide and wellness advocate with a vocational call to build equitable communities where healing is central to its culture. By day, she is a marketing professional and content strategist working remotely for a nonprofit organization that operates in six countries. Through her role on a faith-based racial justice and diversity committee, and as a founding member of She Steps Up, a women's wage equity organization, Dominique considers herself an advocate for the dignity of all peoples. As a self-declared empath, finding ways to integrate wellness, gratitude, and spirituality into each day is key to her leading a fulfilling life. Yes, I resisted the urge to snap while I was reading that. Um, (laughs) I really like what you're up to, and I'm so glad to... um, to have this conversation with you today. Yeah, thanks. Thanks again. So we're at a point where um, America is really reckoning with its racist past and present. Mm -hmm. And I feel like in my lifetime, I haven't yet seen this level of people kind of waking up to um, the reality of police brutality and the reality of how um, white supremacist values have been woven into each and every system that holds up this country. Um, Mm -hmm. And so it's a time of turmoil, but it feels to me like productive turmoil because we're kind of facing into what's actually been going on, which Black people know because we've been living it, but more people are facing into that and, um, and seem to be interested in wanting to, to make some changes. So as someone with a deep spiritual practice, how does your spiritual worldview help you make sense and meaning out of what we're seeing right now? Mm-hmm. Um, so I would say for me, my spiritual practice is really rooted in this idea of seeking truth like um i would say regardless of any sort of dogma or anything it's really truth seeking and what that means to me is asking a couple questions um i feel like a lot of spiritual practice tends to be asking more questions than necessarily um having answers to things at times and so um things like how can we be more heart centered in the heart how can we see and hold one another's grief? How can we be more resilient? How can we be more loving? Um, And right now, it seems like the world is trying to answer all of these questions at once. And they are for the first time in a really long while, like you, you mentioned, connected in a way that makes it impossible to not feel it in some way in their bodies, like feel the pain and the hurt in their bodies. and I, I should make clear that that does not mean that we're in a place where people can necessarily recognize that that is what is going on, but they can like feel it energetically, whether or not they want to. Um, I feel like there's still a huge segment of people who are sort of um, trying to avoid or trying to 
not feel those things or not make sense of them or they're trying to over intellectualize the the killings or or the pandemic and they're doing so in a way that is actually harmful but regardless like you said like everyone i you know talk about globalization i think the the butterfly theory um is extremely real for folks in this moment and in this time and um and and this is because the lives of Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor, like George Floyd, Tony McDade, like so many people who are lost um, their lives during this time um, through through killings, um, and not because of the pandemic. And so essentially, what I think has happened is this like scientific nature of a public health crisis has more people in tune with um, the repercussions of each action they're making and each action that they're taking and. Um, this has meant that people are sort of hearing repeatedly about uh, how you can spread the coronavirus as a carrier. And all these calculations is honestly why I think people are so conscious and caring and showing up for these protests and um, in the droves that they have been. And I'm talking like specifically about the people who might not have been there beforehand, um, but now are suddenly showing up. Um, and for me, um, I think that people have been required to stay in quarantine or self-isolation and they may have had an opportunity to sit with their thoughts um, and think about micro or sorry, macro level um, systemic issues that impact people daily. And that is like extremely spiritual for the people to be sitting with these questions, regardless if they identify with a, a faith or a religion or a spiritual practice. In many ways, they're sort of being required to now. Um, and so for me, I think it's really um, uh, a unique time where people are asking those questions that I that I had shared earlier. Like, how can I be more centered in the heart? How can I be more loving to my neighbors? Um, how can I hold someone that just lost someone um, due to coronavirus or who is grieving the loss of black and brown folks that they know in their lives who have been um, killed? because of police brutality um, or other reasons. And so I think what we all are experiencing is this, this question, which I've asked myself since I was little, I think um, like how can, uh, this question about resilience and how can I be more resilient um, and, and hopeful in a way. Um, and so I think in many ways, everyone is having a spiritual a spiritual moment and being called into a spiritual practice. Um, and for some folks, it's an entirely new way of thinking and a, a new set of questions too. Yes, I love this idea of connecting the dots from quarantine and being quarantined due to coronavirus made people wake up to something that I believe to be true that we're, but that we can be blind to, which is interconnectedness, right? Mm -hmm. Like sickness makes you wake up to what you do impacts me, what I do impacts you and that core value of us at core being one, you know? Right. And that's interesting to me that people, that the virus would wake people up to that interconnectedness. And then when something so heinous happens, because they've been plugged into the interconnectedness, they're experiencing it differently than maybe they did all those other times with mm -hmm. 
Tamir Rice and Trayvon Martin and, you know, Sandra Bland, all of these names that, that we remember because we want to see it be different, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's exactly. Yeah. And I also really appreciate your point about um, the heart opening. Like, I think what we're being shown on the news is things, you know, images that are designed to make people fearful. But why are people in the streets? Because it's a way to show that you care, you know, that you want things to be different. And I appreciate you bringing up the idea that this is about opening to more love. Mm-hmm. And that that's, part, that's a, a huge part of what we're seeing in the world right now. That's great. Yeah. And I think that practice of um, bringing things so out of the head and into the heart a little bit more, um, I just hope that that continues. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Especially as things start to enter the different phases and different states are opening and um, people have this opportunity to check out again. Um, Mm -hmm. I hope that people are still feeling called to, um, to, to notice and to listen and to acknowledge um, what's happening for a huge chunk of people (laughs) living in, living in this country. So um something else that you mentioned was resilience and that feels um, super important to me right now as someone who I don't know that I've ever said I'm an empath, but I do think I'm extremely sensitive and letting in the pain of, you know, the pain and the rage that I felt when I read about what happened to George Floyd and Ahmaud Arbery and Breonna Taylor, um, because it came in what felt like to me, that felt like it happened in in an influx of three, Mm -hmm. the pain of my own pain and other people's pain, I just felt like it was so overwhelming. And I really had to dig into my tools of resilience of like, okay, how's my breath? Get down on the ground and make sure I'm doing crocodile pose every day and make sure I'm doing yoga nidra every day to regulate my nervous system because it's not like you can be of use to any form of resistance if you're kind of burned out or blown out, you know? Mm -hmm. So for you, how does your practice support you in being resilient in this time? So I would say that actually one of my tendencies that I'm often um, having to navigate quite frequently is like, uh, (laughs) you mentioned the empath. So yeah, like feeling the emotions of others um, and figuring out and navigating which are my emotions and which are those of other people. And so Mm -hmm. this is a, a time, and it's especially challenging during a time where everyone is feeling so deeply and experiencing so much trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, and my practice has really looked like me returning to tools I used when I was growing up. So I'm taking more baths. I'm singing in the bathtub. 
Um, I'm not a great singer, but it's just something that is so releasing and freeing for me. Mm. Um, and I tend to keep a lot of energy like locked up in the throat. So, um, it's really powerful practice. Uh, and I think for the first time in a, in a long while, I've actually filled an entire journal front to back. Um, I tend to like get halfway through, uh, get journal envy, buy a new journal and then start a new <laughs> one. So, um, so it's funny in that way, but, um, I, and I'm letting myself process what's beneath the surface rather than, um, show or be who other people may need me to be. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and, or how that I might perceive that they need what they need from me. And so I'm drinking more tea and less coffee, uh, to minimize sort of the jittery and racy thoughts and effects of caffeine, um, so that I can feel more embodied in this moment in time, um, despite really enjoying a good cup of coffee. Um, and I'm being, and being able to recognize when I need rest instead of trying to alter that emotion. Mm-hmm. Um, or physical need. And in terms of like, uh, tangible practices, I've also been chanting the, the Lam, uh, Bija seed mantra and, and holding mudras focused on like grounding energy. So it's all about connecting to energies of stability and to earth. Um, and I, I need to do that particularly because I can be super airy and, um, get a little distracted. And so, um, in order for me to speak up and feel, uh, very, very grounded, I need to, um, use that, that practice, uh, during meditation. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that I don't get too depleted as well. Uh, so everyone, might need uh, something a little bit different right now. But for me, uh, because of how I am energetically, I know that um, that grounding energy is super important. Um, and lastly, I think uh, at the end of the day, it for me, it always is about community. So a huge part of the, I don't want to use the word outcome, but I don't, I can't, another word isn't coming to me right now, of internal work. Um, is to sort of be in service to community. Mm-hmm. And so for me, this has looked like hosting under live chats on my Instagram. Um, and you you uh, graced us with your presence there as well. And, and just being in community in that way, um, despite social distancing. And mm-hmm. um, I'm hosting also meditation series uh, for people to reset midday. Um, and then lastly, also how I plan to serve community is acknowledge, I think a huge part of the inward work is noticing and acknowledging when you, where and where, when and where you do have privilege. Mm -hmm. Uh, And for me, that means that I'm also working with a couple of um, transgender healers and practitioners and um, putting together an event to uplift their voice. Mm-hmm. Um, voices and to uh, fundraise uh, for organizations who are serving the the, the marginalized and the, the vulnerable um, among us who often their voices are really, really silenced. Um, and so uh, part of my practice in grounding is knowing when to speak up and knowing when to uplift the voices of other people and just sit back and watch them do their thing. Uh, and that is 
an extremely important part of my spiritual practice as someone who um, really does sort of like know what it can is really in tune with how other people are feeling. And so I, I often feel the need to like speak up and before I'm, but too soon. And so the practice of stepping back and letting other people who uh, voices need to be heard a little bit more than mine at this time, um, have the opportunity to do that. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, it still goes back at the end of the, of the day to like, you go inward so that you can, um, say hello to the wisdom that's already inside because it's already there. It's just like mm-hmm. sort of getting quiet enough for that, um, that wisdom to come through and then identifying the tools that you have within to once again, be centered in the heart, to grieve, be resilient, be more loving and get a glimpse into what your deeper embodied truth is. And for me, part of that is, um, being a cheerleader for people who, um, I think ought to be celebrated more. That's wonderful. I love how your description of um, the practices that are supporting you are both internal and also um, and also active in the world. Like I appreciate that pulsation between I do this work to get my um, self grounded and my mind clear and my heart feeling open and balanced. And then that allows me to engage with my community in that way. And that's practice too. Like I really appreciate um, recognizing that both of those are practice. It's not just when you sit on your cushion and you do your meditation. It's also what you do after you get off of the cushion as part of the practice as well. Mm -hmm. And the other thing that you had mentioned that I just realized, so, and and that to me is an embodiment of resilience, like that practice Mm of bouncing back from, from things that happen every day or from your thoughts or from um, circumstances outside of your control. And uh, I also think that's why black women and black, uh, black trans women, um, black trans people are, are really uh, the folks to uplift even even more in this moment. Yeah, yeah, I can definitely um, I can definitely see that perspective. I was at um, the march on Sunday for um, Black and Trans Lives, and there was a really beautiful moment where um, the organizers said, you know, trans women to the front and just to see Mm -hmm. all these amazing women go up to the front and take the mic and speak what was true for them. And a lot of what was true for them was how, um, you know, how poorly they had been treated and that they were still here and that they had something to say and, 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 you know, so I, I, um, yeah, I stand, um, stand in solidarity with our trans peeps too yeah and you also said something that sort of um that i that also was really important that influx you said the influx of three yeah um and i think there is you know the power of the triad right and so there's something about this moment that um 
that we're, we can only get a glimpse of right now as to the importance of that, I think, being true, that the, the power of the triad. Um, and I think uh, there's that video of George Floyd's daughter saying, like, my daddy, my daddy did this. My daddy changed the world. What did mm. she say? My daddy changed the world. Um, and that in itself is also, I think, really spiritual, um, the power of the triad. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I agree that we can't know yet, but that just felt like three punches in a row, you know? Mm -hmm. And then it was just like, there's no way to not let that in, you know? Um, And so I think it just, that friction, I'm reminded of, um, yeah, just that friction being the thing that's bringing forth the shining, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so that brings me to a question about part of what I really am hoping this first series in the podcast does is to support... Um, spiritual embodiment and I think it can be easy to use practice as a way to avoid like the material world Mm -hmm. but I've always and I don't know if it's just like tantric tradition we're we're here to have a human experience and Mm -hmm. to be able to experience both this changeable world and and the eternal you know and so I guess how do you um how do you ensure that you use your practice for action and not for bypass yeah um so I think oh, this is such a hard question because for me, it comes super naturally, I think. Mm-hmm. I, but um, I also think that there's just this, as someone who feels like or thinks or believes themselves to be pretty intuitive, I, I think that there is a universal language that we all can speak. Mm-hmm. uh through sensations and nonverbal energetic cues and uh you mentioned tantric uh you know practices and i think the asana like the physical asana the body practices even those when they're practiced in a studio um and predominantly like hatha yoga yogis um in studios they you can feel when something's off and, Mm -hmm. and the same way. So when you walk into a room and you can pick up on the vibes of that space, um, it's there. I I do think that many of us have lost touch with that connection to this like gift that we have, uh, because we're a little bit too lost in this digital space where we don't need to remember or feel. 
Um, we are even told that like when we should set a block schedule for our daily walks or other exercise or whatever it is, or our meetings um, by our devices, like our, our digital, the digital world that we're living in sort of does everything for us. Um, and so when people have lost touch with them ourselves or themselves, um, there is like a desire to control and oppress outside of self because we're not necessarily in tune with ourselves, And so we, it, we do that, um, in order to feel powerful. Um, and I think in terms of spiritual bypass, um, if you're, if you're taking, if, you know, when I take a seat and I'm meditating and getting grounded, I know that the actions that I take for the rest of the day are really in service to other people most of the day. Um, and I think that's the way it should be. Um, but that people have definitely lost touch with, with themselves because they think, okay, I did my, um, my asana, I did my physical practice or I, I meditated and that was my, um, that was my time to go inward. And now the rest of the day is also still about me. <laughs> um, instead of thinking, how can I be in service to others? So there's like this deep separation, um, or divide. Essentially, I think we are like, people tend to create this binary, um, instead of what I try and do, um, which is how can I integrate what I just, um, felt on my mat and sort of replicate it in this material world. Um, mm -hmm. and I think that there's a lot of external validation that people are after and it can translate to like suppressed hatred of self because it becomes, and that makes it harder and harder to access your inner teacher once you leave your cushion. Mm -hmm. Um, so if you're of service to others because it makes you feel good, uh, versus <laughs> because it's just a part of your way of being. I think that that, that translates. Um, and so really working hard to, um, find out what, what exists within you that still is a little hateful and still is a little, um, angry and like noticing, noticing the anger, noticing the hate, um, not trying to like push it down or, and get rid of it, but really like working through those emotions. Um, and for me, that's, that's made it more possible for me to blink open my eyes and pour or drink my tea and, um, not lose my shit. <laughs> um, so I don't know. I don't know if I just answered your question. I just started um, thinking of a lot of things, but I think in terms of spiritual bypass, uh, you can't love and light your way out of, out of everything. You need to feel the anger. You need to feel um, your sadness. And you also have to acknowledge that you don't have to do it alone. Mm -hmm. Um, <laughs> and so, uh, we can't really act from love. Um, if we 
uh, if we're causing harm and, and so how can we cause less harm? Um, and really sitting with that question of why, because I think patterns repeat too, you know, when people cause harm, it's not the first time they've caused harm, but maybe they don't necessarily notice it yet. Mm -hmm. Um, so really sitting with, okay, what just happened? Has this happened before? Um, why am I still holding on to pain and power and not trying to, uh, reach any sort of reconciliation? Um, and at the, the macro level, I'm going to just apply this to things that are going on too. Um, what we're seeing now, there hasn't been any reconciliation or reparations. Um, yes. <laughs> which are stimulus checks that the federal government gave out prove that, that it's in, that it's entirely possible to do, by the way. Um, and at the end of the day, I think people are afraid. They are not ready to let go of old stories and embrace like our true nature, um, which I believe is earth-centered, caring, sacred, communal. Mm-hmm. Um, and instead, we're really still attached to making things easier for ourselves. And, um, and seeking external answers, um, instead of sitting with really, really tough emotions that come up for us internally. Mm-hmm. I, I love that part about, you know, just wanting to skip over some of those emotions that are harder to hold and that being a piece of the bypass, like mm-hmm. in order to move through this to the other side, I really think each person is going to have to look at how they internalized um, some of these anti-Black messages, you -hmm. know, and Black people too. I'm doing a whole bunch of reading to see like, what did I, what did I internalize was necessary to be um, successful or comfortable in life? Mm -hmm. And how does, how does that how do those values or behaviors actually contribute to keeping this whole thing going, you know? So, and then to have the, but I mean, that's where I think like why bypass? Like the whole point of meditation is that you can, you can get still, you can get quiet. You can see the thoughts and keep turning your attention back to the mantra, you know, and then be with that mantra. And so you're practicing being able to witness your thoughts without being captured by them, mm. you know? So I feel like it builds the ability to say like, whoa, I see something in me that is really hard to take. Whew. And then just like, okay, that's there. And I feel the pain of that. And how do I want to proceed from a place of discernment, you know? Mm-hmm. So it just seems like it could be something that is actually so deeply of service to where we find ourselves right now. Yeah, I think people think that perhaps when they hear we meditate and we have these practices to alleviate suffering, that that means that, oh, I'm alleviating suffering um, by, by not, not thinking these things or, or, you know, instead of noticing the thoughts, like squashing them, like they're bugs Mm -hmm. or, um, 
and it is going to take all the things that you just mentioned like each person needs to analyze what's going on and myself included as well um yes 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 so another question is about like when you think of what racism is from a spiritual perspective what is that both what is the disconnect spiritually that allows racism to flourish that's the first part of the question and the second part of the question is what is what is equity through a spiritual lens so for the first part like what is that disconnect spirit that what's happening what's happening spiritually when racism is flourishing um i think i might jump back to sort of what some of the things that we talked about earlier this idea of interconnectedness is is lost Mm -hmm. um i think because there are so many um there's an economist and i do not recall their name um, but this is not my original thought but the idea of having social capital, financial capital, like there's all these different ways that you, when added up, uh, equate to your access to, or your experience of happiness and joy. Mm. And I think for some people, it can be really difficult to relinquish any aspect of that capital, um, be it social or financial because they're fearful of um, losing power and they're fear they have that fear because capitalism says you need social capital you need financial capital to be important mm-hmm. to matter and what I think <laughs> is that we all matter and that it social capital, financial capital, um, shouldn't be the end all be all. And that it's going to take people acknowledging that they have to, to let go of some of that control and that need for control, um, in order to actually free themselves. Like, I think there's just this fear of, um, of losing control that stops people from being truly free. Um, and if that wasn't the case, then there wouldn't be such an upheaval over things like haircuts and manicures, right? (laughs) Like, they're like, but this is something that I can control. Um, I go to get my haircut every month at this time with this person or whatever it is. And even that, right? People were protesting haircuts in a time where people are are dying like hundreds of thousands of people are dying millions of people are dying and um and i think that says just so much about priorities and about socialization um that personal appearances took higher precedent than the wellness of community members and that goes back to interconnectedness because you you must not see the person in front of you as a member of your community if you are willing uh, to 
to put people's lives at risk and and for the sake of um, a compliment from a friend about your haircut. Yeah, that is that is a hundred percent true. The priorities are totally out of balance, and I think. I like that you're pushing on um, forgetting interconnectedness as a piece of what drives racism being able to flourish, but also this piece of forgetting um, self-worth, you know, like, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. like if you, and even though we know that racism happens both at an individual, at an individual level and at a systemic level, Right. Mm -hmm. So it's not just people, it's also systems keeping this going because they're designed to keep it going. But that initial system put in place of slavery, you know, Mm -hmm. like think about how that, how the people who perpetrated that lost both their full understanding of the humanity of the people that they were enslaving, but then also their own humanity because we're all created equal. And I feel like at a, at a gut level, we know that, you know, Mm -hmm. and then that draws a line right back to the control and the power piece. Um, So I just feel all of that interwoven of like forgetting the interconnectedness, forgetting the true, majesty of each human being the thing that keeps us slipping back into the patterns that the system creates. Mm -hmm. So then if you turn that on its ear, then how do you see equity through a spiritual lens? Hmm. Equity through a spiritual lens. Um, I think if it's flipped on its ear, um, it would be for those same individuals and those same, uh, I think the individuals need to push back on the the systems Mm -hmm. in order for them to shift. And the systems at the end of the day, um, are people who are put in power to maintain those systems. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, I think what it takes at a spiritual level is to say the system was created for me and, and acknowledging that. So this, those folks who um, lost sight of the interconnectedness of their fellow human being um, and enslaved uh, black and brown people to till their land and to make them money um, and to keep them in control and, and to maintain their social capital, their financial capital. It's saying, it's this conversation of this system was created for me and that is that is wrong. Um, and spiritually, that looks like acknowledging that um, the harm and, and leaning into the idea of non-attachment right like so okay this was a thing (laughs) in our history as a country um and that thing is wrong because it caused harm 
it continues to cause harm and it continues to only um, only support people who look like me and and that is wrong um, because everyone deserves to feel welcome and safe and to have their their essence loved and supported and cared for and beyond essence too, their physical body. And I think that's where um, uh, I should make that distinction because of what we were talking about earlier is the spiritual bypassing that happens is like uh, people can say, oh, love and light, like I love your, your light, right? Mm, um, mm-hmm. And that, and that is essence, right? That is the person's soul. They're acknowledging, oh, you, you are like me. Your soul is like me. And then they, that what often happens is, wait a second, but we're on this material plane. And if you, if you love my soul, if you love my essence, I need you to also love my, my physical body actually, because we do exist in this material world. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that is a huge piece uh of the the equity component to all of this is spiritually acknowledging that yeah when you get on your cushion you can you know ascend to whatever thing or person or guru or whoever it is that you are praying to saint angel whatever it is and then when you get up from praying or meditating how are you treating the the physical bodies of the people who are on this material plane because at the end of the day their their souls matter um but you have to acknowledge and and practice non-harm and non-attachment to systems that cause harm if um you are going to to strive towards this this peaceful um spiritual being that um i think a lot of people profess they are um but really need some more practice um, in acknowledging some of the flaws in some of the things they say or the way that they, um, and I'm going to put this in an example to ground it a little bit more. You know, I've been in yoga classes where the teacher has said things like, um, like you are not your body. You are not your race. You are not your Mm. religion. You are not your um, and this long list of things that, granted, are related to our physical bodies and to the material world. And I, I get that from an intellectual standpoint. Um, but the reality is that I'm on this material world and those things yeah. um, impact me and influence the way that I move about this world and also impact my access and other people's access to um to sitting, to meditating, to breathing, mm-hmm. to all those things. Um, and so we have to acknowledge both in order to become more equitable. Mm-hmm. Yes. And this piece about like, oh, I see your, I, I see your soul. It's like, yeah. And even from, you know, a Koshik perspective, you know, for people that that's a new term, you know, this idea that at the center is your soul and it's covered by these sheaths or layers but all of those layers as you get more and more manifest and that outermost layer being the physical body Mm -hmm. 
all of those layers are drenched with the divine. All of those layers are drenched with the soul. Like it's not this mm-hmm. thing where it's like, oh, I, you know, you can't separate that. Like each layer of our being is reflecting that soul. So it mm-hmm. is connected. And I just appreciate you bringing that forward of like, from an intellectual perspective, it's fine to say like what you're trying to do is you're trying to teach people that you that you are having both a spiritual and a manifest world experience. And so if people are only having that manifest world experience and they haven't started to look within, maybe that language can be useful to say, hey, like start to turn within, but that can't be the end of it. Mm-hmm. Um so I, I like that you that you brought that forward. And then just this idea of like, that really crystallized for me in our conversation of, yeah, it's so easy to kind of go to that one place of like, oh yeah, it's the soul we are. You know, I, I have taken solace myself as someone who, um, you know, is still healing from trauma. I have taken solace in, the soul is the place that remains untouched by those traumas. You know, that has been very healing for me, but ultimately that healing has needed to work through each layer of how I perceive the world, you know? Yeah. So I guess I would ask you this final question of um, when you dream of or set an intention for collective liberation what does that look like for you i i'm a black mixed woman with light skin privilege and i've had interesting experiences um in community and in spiritual communities in particular and people have fetishized my ambiguity and um then when i have conversations about race and equity with those same people they're like surprised by my perspective and then I've also had these other experiences where I'm in all black or BIPOC communities and I feel welcome and cared for. Mm-hmm. And so I think one thing I would like to see is that I need to see people expanding their circles and really listening and really um, it shows when, when people are only friends with people who are carbon copies of themselves mm-hmm. um, in terms of their, their experiences. And um, I would, I think to me, collective liberation is a world where we embrace the gifts of everyone so that we can heal, we can grow, and we can rediscover um, this connection to something greater than ourselves. Each of us has a spark that contributes to what is good. And uh, I think that we really need to join together till that spark, that flame, that essence. Um, can be expanded and that everyone, when they walk into a room, when they walk this earth, when they sit down and close their eyes to meditate, they feel like they belong. Um, and I think that that is in order to get there that we, people need to expand their circles. Who are you communicating with? Who are you, who are you talking with each day, who are you making space for? How, who are you holding when they're, when they're sad? Um, and, and really think about who those people are, what they look like, what experiences they've had and, and expand upon 
who you are supporting and the ways in which you're doing so in a way that's not harmful, but in a way that really um, allows you to um, be more connected to others and, and acknowledge and recognize your interconnectedness. It's that same idea of, um, I think the awakening that's happening is because people are seeing that um, there are certain things about their identity that makes, um, that is related to um, a daughter losing her father or, um, uh, you know, I think Ahmad Arbery's death um, or murder killing is, is also another example. Like every, a lot of people run, right? Mm -hmm. um, and you can acknowledge that if someone can't run, go for a run on this earth without being um, persecuted, without feeling like they belong um, because of their, their skin color, um, then there's something so terribly wrong with, um, with our world. And, and so I think it really is, um, about building safe communities, safe spaces, um, internally and externally for folks. Um, and, and that's what it's going to take for us to, um, have more people feel liberated and free and experience that in their bodies and also, um, on uh, other other levels of consciousness as well. Mm. Yes, thank you. Mm -hmm. May we create that. Ah. <laughs> well, thank you so much for um, having this conversation with me today. It's just been really great to hear your thoughts and your wisdom. Um, I want to let people know that if they'd like to learn more about you or to work with you, they can go on your website, unjar.co. That's U-N-J-A-R dot C-O. Um, and they can find you on Instagram. Is that the same handle? Yeah, either that one or they can go to um, Dominique, D-O-M-I-N-I-Q-U-E-T-E-E. -E. Great. Um, I, I really appreciate you inviting me and um, being in conversation with you about these extremely important um, topics. And, and thanks again for uh, creating your podcast so that folks can really sit with these questions and these concepts and integrate them into their lives. Yeah. Okay. Thank you, listeners. Be well.